Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. To worship is to be human. And to be human is to worship because everybody in some way worships. In 1979, Bob Dylan sang out of this conviction. You might just hear it in the background. He said, you might be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You may like to dance. You might be a heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. You know this song? But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or you got to sing like, Maybe the devil, or maybe the Lord. But you're going to have to serve somebody. He said, you might be a rock and roll addict prancing on the stage. You might have drugs at your command, women in a cage. You may be a businessman or some high-degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. Maybe the devil or maybe the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Now, we could easily substitute the word worship for serve, couldn't we? To worship, to serve a higher God, purpose, whatever, is to be human. To be human is to worship. And as beings that created, we were created in the image of God, we were created to serve, created to worship. And we all, in some way or another, live out our lives as acts of worship to some God, some ideal, some pursuit, some ultimate reference point, whether that is a real, true God or something fictitious or even something downright evil. I mean, even John Lennon, who really objected to these lyrics that Dylan wrote, they were a little too evangelical for him. He betrayed himself and proved Dylan's point when he wrote a counter song called Serve Yourself. You're going to have to serve somebody, even if that petty little tyrant is you. (laughs) For followers of Jesus, we all understand that our whole lives is worship. All that we do, all that we say, all that we dream, all that we play or pursue or even deny is an expression of our worship to God. Now, that doesn't mean we always live that. We know that. We're frail and faulty. but, but, But we know that that's the goal. We know that our lives are to be that kind of expression of worship. All over the scriptures, we're continually called to worship with many of the Psalms commanding us to worship, commanding others to worship, commanding creation itself to worship. We heard that when Laura read from Psalm 148 for our call to worship. And at times we know, and I know at least, that that command is necessary, right? Like I need to hear it actually because there are days when I don't feel like worshiping God. And so that command helps me. I don't always naturally incline toward praise. We need that call to worship to remind us that God 
No matter what's going on, no matter how I feel, God is worthy of worship. And yet our desire to give God glory, to honor him, often does come from hearts that have been caught up with the wonder of God. And so that praise can be a heartfelt expression, whether that's in our corporate setting like this where we're singing together, whether that's privately as you create art in a studio, whether that's through the work of your hands or minds, leading your families, worship bubbles up from within us because of who God is. We were designed for worship. There's a sense in which worship really becomes naturally to the human. Well, C.S. Lewis, you know, he's one of my favorites. I don't quote him very often because I, you know, well, probably would quote him every week if I could, but, you know. But he wrote a wonderfully insightful little chapter in his Reflection on the Psalms, and it's a chapter called A Word About Praising. (laughs) And he reflected first on this command business, the command to give praise and how it kind of frustrated him when he was first a follower of Jesus. But then he offers this incredible insight. Let me quote from him. This is C.S. Lewis. He said, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought of it in terms of compliment, approval, or the giving of honor. I have never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Unless, or sometimes if, shyness of fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. The world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. This was written in the 40s. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps. Rare beetles, even sometimes politicians and scholars. I had not noticed how the humblest and at the same time most balanced and capacious praised most, while the cranks, misfits, and malcontents praised least. Praise almost seems to be inner health made audible. That's why we love Lewis. The world rings with praise. Have you ever noticed that? One of the men that I run with uh, regularly, he is constantly filled with praise as we explore the mountain trails around Creston. Never does a morning pass, I kid you not, without exaggeration, where he does not express his praise for the day, for the mountain, for the views, for the conversation just for the exhilaration of the blood and the lungs pumping, or just the thrill of being alive and out in the mountain to enjoy the day. The world rings with praise. All enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. Don't you agree? So how is the Holy Spirit involved in this worship? Or more to the point, how does the Holy Spirit empower us as his followers to be the worshipers that God has created us to be? How does he create more worshipers from people who are not yet following Jesus and then inspire them to become worshipers that God has created them to be? Could it be that the Holy Spirit helps us enjoy God 
which then leads us into an overflow of praise. I think C.S. Lewis might be on to something here. We'll um, come back to that. We're nearly finished a series that we've been doing all summer on the Holy Spirit, and I hope you've really enjoyed it. I, I was gone for the last few weeks, and I do want to really thank uh, Pastor Shannon Friesen from Steinbeck, Manitoba, and, and Pastor Rob Peterson, who uh, currently lives in, in Grand Rapids, uh, but is our Canadian uh, a conference associate superintendent, longtime covenant pastor. They both offered really encouraging insight, didn't they? Great teaching, and I, I was just so encouraged by it. Uh, today, we're asking how the Holy Spirit helps us with worship. Next week, one more um, look at the Holy Spirit as we come to the communion table, and then we'll be on into, into the fall. For today, we're going to look into that famous conversation, just a little bit of it, between Jesus and the unnamed Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, or if you want to open a second screen, um, we'll be reading in John chapter 4. I won't go through the whole story uh, here today. The story is justly famous. You may have heard of it. You may know it fairly well. Because Jesus, this faithful, righteous Jewish rabbi, deliberately enters into unclean Samaritan territory. And he did it so that he could partner with the work the Holy Spirit was already doing among these people. He did it so that all these outsiders might be included in God's covenant family. Well, after asking this wounded, outcast woman to give him a drink, Jesus engages her in a conversation about her own deepest need for living water, living water that only Jesus himself can provide her, which leads to quite an exchange moves from ancient water wells to failed marriages, and through it reveals Jesus' extraordinary insight into this woman's hurt and into her loss. And she's astonished by Jesus' intimate knowledge of her situation, and she says, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, presumably she pointed to it, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's from John chapter 4, 19 to 20. The woman at this point in the conversation, there may be reasons why she shifts the light uh, onto something else, but she focuses her question on worship. How we can worship God? Where? How to do it properly? Who's right? Who's wrong? How is this going to be resolved? She points out in particular to this long-standing disagreement between Jews and Gentiles based on history, based on location. And it's then and there that Jesus tells this woman something absolutely central to who we are and what God is doing through him. Listen to this, John chapter 4, verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am. 
In one profound moment, Jesus sweeps in a whole new era of worship. Where doesn't matter anymore. This hill, this building, this place, it's, it's gone. It's irrelevant. It's who and how you worship that matters. Through the Jews, God had revealed himself personally and profoundly. He had walked with these people for generations upon generations. But always his revelation was partial, was hinting, was incomplete, it was provisional. It was always pointing forward to something fuller that was coming, some kind of full revelation, some kind of divine plan. And that time of revelation is now, Jesus says. Now God has made himself known through Jesus. And now worshipers can fully engage God in spirit and in truth, wherever they are and whoever they are. This is earth-shattering news. Now, we read it, we've heard it, it kind of bounces off us. But this is epoch-making revelation that Jesus drops here by some well with a woman we didn't even catch her name. Changes everything. And our question today, to the point, is how is the Holy Spirit involved in this worshiping in spirit or in the spirit and in truth? Let's explore that just briefly this morning. We'll take it in reverse. First, truth. The Holy Spirit, we're told, bears witness to Jesus. He does this through creation. He does it through culture. He does it through experiences, through story. The Holy Spirit is always pointing, 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 pointing to God's grace, pointing to his goodness, so that when Jesus is finally revealed, people have what is a divine aha moment when they realize this is who we've been looking for. This is who we always thought was there. This is the one of our heart's desire. They see Jesus for who he is. We saw that a few weeks ago in the story of Cornelius, right? Where he was devout and, 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 he's, and he's worshiping, but he needed God to connect him to a Jesus follower so that he could hear the full story of what he was longing for. And when he did, When he came to know Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on him. He was included in the family of God. The Spirit is at work, and we explored that. Well, with this Samaritan woman, and then with all of her townspeople, who in the end come to believe in Jesus as well, what we see is the Spirit is at work there, getting the harvest ready, so that people can actually, these people in this particular case, people who didn't know, didn't didn't have any way of knowing And here they're receiving the clearest revelation possible, coming to know God through Jesus, and now able to worship God fully in spirit and in truth because they have met the Messiah. As we said a few weeks ago, the Holy Spirit likes nothing better than helping people find Jesus, and this is what he's doing here on this day, helping them worship God in truth. So why is this? Why is the truth important? So people can actually worship their true God, their true creator, the one they were truly made to image, not a figment of their imagination, not a religious idea, not an idol of their culture. And to worship a God in truth, the God for who he truly is, is revealed in Jesus, means that people can then become truly human 
truly in relationship with the God in whose image they were created. Without the true God in view, we are unable to become all that we were created to be. One of the principles in Scripture, it's repeated in the Psalms several times, but it's a theme through Scripture, is that we become like the gods that we worship. And one of the things the prophets and the psalmists always told the people of God is, if you refuse to worship the true God and you worship an idol that is dead and, and can't hear and can't speak and can't see, you'll become like the God that you worship. We image the God who created us, but as we worship God, we become more like that God. So if you set up a false idol, you become more like that God too. There's a dynamic at work here. And so the Holy Spirit wants people to meet the true God, to come to know who he truly is as he has revealed himself most definitively, most clearly in the person of Jesus Christ. We were created to worship. It's only as we worship the true God as he's revealed himself in Christ, that we can become the full human beings we were created to be. In other words, to worship in truth is to worship who God truly and most definitively is, God as he's revealed in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit enables people to see Jesus, enables us to come to greater understanding of who Jesus is, to know him, to respond to him, to follow him, to understand who he is and what he has done and how he responds and what he cares about so that we can come out of the murk and the shadows and the half-truths, the idolatry, and embrace God as he's revealed himself to be through the Son by the Spirit. And that is something that continues to happen in the lives of his followers as well. The Holy Spirit does that, reveals Jesus in clarity and in truth. He does that through his word, the Bible, as well as the witness of God's people, as well as the inner witness that he gives to our hearts. True worshipers, worshipers the Father is seeking, are enabled by the Spirit to worship God in truth. What a beautiful thing. We all got to serve somebody, but many don't even know the God that they're worshiping. The Holy Spirit is keen that we do, that we worship in truth the God who's created us and redeemed us and loved us in Jesus. So second, the Holy Spirit helps us worship the Father in spirit or in the Spirit. This can seem a little bit trickier to say linguistically. Are we worshiping the Father in capital S, Spirit, like the Holy Spirit? Or are we worshiping God in spirit because we have a spirit? And the answer to that is John, the Gospel of John, uh, the writer of John, John's Gospel, um, the answer to that whenever there's two things going on in John is usually the, usually the answer is yes, just to keep it confusing. He loves the double play. It's all over in John. So when we ask ourselves, is this worshiping the Father in the Spirit or in spirit? Yes, it is. John wants us to see this overlap is quite intentional. How the Spirit of God, who has come and taken up residence in the people of God, that they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, as well as little individual temples of the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit in us fully engages our spirit to worship the God who is spirit in the Spirit. In other words, we're brought in to this relationship. We're now able to worship the true God as true people, people of the Spirit, people now who share in the same stuff as God because God has brought us into this divine life through Jesus and poured into us his life by the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't take away from our physicality at all or the embodied way that we live our lives. 
We, it doesn't divide up like that. Oh, there's spirit. and there, No, no. It's about all of us. It catches all of it up into its rightful place through that we, through our offering of our bodies, are offering a living sacrifice, which is an act of spiritual worship. It's about all of us coming together as the people of God, now one in Christ by the Spirit. So the Spirit not only makes Jesus known to us so that we can worship God in truth, the Spirit of God also catches us up into the life of God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, so that we're able to enjoy together their relational life, their unconditional love, their never-ending dance. We're now one of them, part of them. Now, I know this is deep. It's wondrous. It's a little more, little than, more than a little mysterious, but this is the work of the Spirit this is why when we read in like John 17, when Jesus does this thing, he's praying to the Father that we would be in them and they would be in us, just as the fa- he's in the Father and the Father is in him, that we would be in, and you think, where are we? Answer, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and there's a sense in which it's actually hard to describe. There's a sense in which we've just been brought in by the work of Jesus and by the work of the Spirit, we've been brought into the life of God. And the Holy Spirit now is empowering us to see Jesus with clarity, but also to to enjoy life with him. To know him and to enjoy him. To see in Jesus the true God fully revealed and to just revel in that. Revel in his complexity. Revel in his majesty. The the, the depth of his love. The way that he, he, he is revealed through the gospels. The way that he is revealed in our lives to breathe in his life and to walk with him throughout our days, whether we are at work, whether we are raising kids, whether we are thinking through a problem, whether we're just sleeping, whether we're running a mountain race, no matter what, we're enjoying the life that God has brought us into with him, knowing that we're loved by him and valued in him and redeemed and forgiven in him, free and belonging to him. All this releases us to live as God's spirit children. And this enjoyment piece holds the key, I think, to how the Spirit helps us worship in spirit and in truth. And so I want to go back to C.S. Lewis again, because he continued to explore this idea of enjoyment in his reflection on the Psalms. It's a longer quote than I normally give, but the thing with Lewis is you think, could I summarize this and say it better? Not a chance. So bear with me. Let me read it for you. There's so much good here to receive. Some water before I try, though. Lewis goes on to say this, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It's, it's, it's a pointed consummation. It's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. You following this? It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. The perfect hearer died a year ago. So this is so even when our expectations are inadequate, and of course they usually are, 
But how, if one could really and fully praise even such things to perfection, utterly get out in poetry or or music or paint the upsurge of appreciation which almost bursts you, then indeed the object would be fully appreciated and our delight would have attained perfect development. The worthier the object, the more intense this delight would be. If it were possible for a created soul fully, I mean up to the full measure conceivable in an infinite being, in a finite being, to appreciate, that is to love and delight in, the worthiest object of all, and simultaneously at every moment to give this delight perfect expression, then that soul would be in supreme beatitude. To see what the doctrine of heaven and this idea of praising God perpetually really means, we must suppose ourselves to be in perfect love with God, drunk with, drowned in, dissolved by that delight which, far from remaining pent up within ourselves as incommunicable, hence hardly tolerable, bliss flows out from us incessantly again in effortless and perfect expression. Our joy no more separable from praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds. The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same thing. To fully enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Boy, that's worth chewing on, folks. How does the Holy Spirit help us worship by bringing us to Jesus and then helping us enjoy him? Enjoy him, which just naturally overflows into a life of worship in spirit and in truth. And here's something really ca- to really catch. Notice what Jesus says here. The Father, he says, is on the hunt for exactly these kinds of worshipers. People who come to know him truly through Jesus and enjoy him fully by the Spirit. That's why Jesus ventured into this Samaritan territory that one hot summer day and returned with a full harvest of new Spirit and truth worshipers. The Samaritan woman's uh, fellow villagers said, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. The Father's on the hunt, and the Father still is on the hunt. Not because God is some megalomaniac who needs people fawning all over him. No, that's exactly what Lewis is trying to put to rest. It's because he longs more than anything else for these people, us, you and I, the people of this earth, who were created in his image to know him and to know themselves most truly in him, knowing that that will be their source of greatest joy, life together in a way that can only be expressed as perpetual praise, wondrous worship, a life made truly complete and real and good. Bob Dylan went on, he said, you might be a construction worker working on a home, living in a mansion, you might live in a dome. You might own guns. You might even own tanks. 
You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. You may be a preacher with your spiritual pride. You may be a city councilman taking bribes on the side. You may be working in a barbershop. You may know how to cut hair. You may be somebody's mistress. Maybe somebody's heir. Might like to wear cotton. Might like to wear sink. Might like to drink whiskey. Might like to drink milk. Might like to eat caviar. You might like to eat bread. You may be sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're going to have to worship somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to worship somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to worship somebody. I inserted that change in lyric, of course. A question presented for us. The Holy Spirit's invitation to us is, will we come? Will we let him lead us more deeply into a relationship with Jesus and help us enjoy it? Because in that true enjoyment will flow the kind of praise the Father is looking for. Let's pray together. Will you stand? Father, we are grateful that you are on the hunt for worshipers, and we acknowledge that uh, we're living from different spaces spiritually today. Some of us are followers of yours, and we want, we want to see you more clearly, and we want to worship you in spirit and in truth, and we just invite you to help us do that. We know that you are. Some of us are just exploring faith, exploring church. Maybe we came in here this morning, maybe we're online, and we're not sure yet what we believe. And I, I just want to simply ask, and if you're in that space today, to ask along with me, Holy Spirit, would you help each one have a greater understanding of you through Jesus and receive your invitation to follow and enjoy? For all of us today, Lord, whatever's going on in our lives, pray that you, by your Spirit, would increase our enjoyment of Jesus. And that through that encounter, whether that be through the week or times when we gather, whatever's going on, by your Spirit, we'd see Jesus and enjoy Him and see our lives reshaped around the worship of you in spirit and in truth. Thank you that we're able to be together today. Ask your blessing upon each one as we go today. Those who've gathered online, those who are here, all those who are traveling this summer, to watch over them, return them to us. Thank you for this opportunity we have to be together today to worship in spirit and truth and enjoy each other as well as you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.